Hello and welcome to In the Days of Noor with me, Noor, where we talk about Islamic-related topics and social issues. Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget that you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple. You can also head over to anchor.fm slash fake and olive blog. And there you can see everywhere else that our podcast is available, like Spotify, like on Anchor itself, and many other places. Thanks so much for joining me, and we hope that you enjoy the episode. What's so funny? It's just like... Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. So in this episode, I'm going to be reviewing the Joker and trying to look at it through the lens of a Muslim and of our ethics, our ethos, our morality, and also just giving a review of what I thought of the movie. So I will say that I am... I'm a fan of Batman and the whole universe. I'm not a... I can't say that I'm super into it, but I'm, I don't really know how to put it. (laughs) Like when I was a bit younger, sometimes I would even look up um, Batman's backstory or the Joker's backstory. I couldn't tell you who all the villains are, but I watched the trilogy of the newer Batman that came out a couple years ago. So I don't know. I'm a fan, but I'm no diehard, right? Somewhere in between there. But in general, if a Batman movie comes out, I'm probably going to see it because I think that when I was young, Batman was a bit more campy and I enjoyed it then as a child. And the newer Batmans, I think that's Christian Bale that plays the Batman. Um, And of course, Heath Ledger played the Joker in the trilogy that came out a few years ago. Then I think that those movies are made for older people, like people my age, older 20s, 30s, that sort of millennial age that would have watched those older Batmans that were campy, but now that we're older, probably wouldn't want to watch a movie like that, but want a movie with more story, more of a 
um, something that more so parallels the real world, even though Batman always kind of parallel the real world to some degree. Um, but sort of a villain that, in a weird sense, a villain that we could relate to in a strange sense, and we're going to get into that a bit more. And this Joker um, was even more gritty, had even more of a backstory, even though the thing with the Joker that I've always found interesting just in terms of the writing and the character is that his backstory is always confusing. His backstory is always one in which you don't know what the real story is. Okay, is that his real story or is that something he made up? All we really know about Joker is the man that he presents himself as in whatever current moment. And so that's also fascinating for a character that throughout his development with different writers working on him, then they've all decided to keep this thing going of who is the Joker really? What was his childhood like? Why did he get that scar on his face? Or is it a scar? Or is it... um? just make it like what makes him who he is and every writer has played around with that differently and even in this movie then it seems it begins out very straightforward in that here was this man who is bullied and I'll say something that I find kind of interesting to me in the movie it's very hard to tell what age the Joker is supposed to be I kind of suppose he's in his 30s or 40s but then there's a part of me that says he could even be in his late 20s because this is a man who is so stressed out he's so emaciated he just has this terrible life and so of course that kind of stress can wear on you and then the person that they romantically paired him with she seemed like she could be in her late 20s or early 30s So I don't really know, but it's kind of hard to, and I don't know what age the actor is, so I'm not sure what age he's supposed to be. Um, If you haven't seen the movie, then maybe you won't want to listen to this episode if you plan on seeing it, because of course I will be talking about the movie. Um, Maybe not in too much detail, but it might be more detail than you want to know if you're planning on seeing it. So the one thing I'll say about the movie, just as a movie itself, I was so overwhelmed with the amount of murder in the movie. It just got to a point where it was just too much for me. And I was I was watching it with my sister. And there were so many times we just had to turn away. It was like <laughs> because I don't like see I don't like seeing gruesome graphic stuff like that, you know, I guess replicated, you can say, um in film, I don't like seeing it at all, whether it's on the news or film, like, I'm just not interested in it. Even super graphic stuff in writing, I'll skip over it if it gets too graphic. Like when I was reading, um, subhanAllah, I'm going to forget the name of the book. I think it's, oh, The Empire of Illusion, Empire of Illusion. Then there's a section on pornography and then he begins to talk about violent pornography. I could not read it. I had to skip those couple of lines <laughs> until I knew He was then talking about it because I just, I don't like soaking that kind of stuff in. So for me, it was just too much murder. It was was overwhelming. So it's definitely not, you know, even if your kid is into comics and I I think Batman is in the DC world. uh, I think so. 
Um, even if they're into that sort of stuff, this is absolutely not a children's movie. <laughs> this is not even necessarily a movie you would want to give your teenager the okay to see. If you want to see it as an adult, then, you know, obviously you're free to do that. But I, I would definitely not recommend allowing your kids to see it. Because one thing, one of the first notes that I put down that I wanted to discuss in the podcast is a lot of people complained about the, I won't say a lot, I kind of, kind of, sort of heard um, of people complaining. I didn't really look too deeply into it online as to what people were writing or saying, but just talk about what's the moral message of this film. So essentially in the film, you see the Joker, um, I'm actually forgetting his name in the movie because it's only towards the end that he's act he acts as to be called Joker. But before that, oh, I think his name's Arthur. Before that, his name is just Arthur. And so he lives with his mom and they're poor. And there's sort of an interesting side story about his mom keeps writing to this man who is Bruce Wayne's father because she had a baby with him that's actually Arthur. And Arthur finds out that he is this man's son. And then that's even twisted because later he finds out that maybe he's not, which which is also that sort of thing of constantly keeping us on our toes as to what is the Joker's real story. But um, he's treated badly by a lot of people in his life. And all he really has in his life is his mother. And even that is ruined at a certain point in the movie because of the things he finds out about his childhood. So he has this medical condition and he's also me- he's also mentally ill and he's on the train one day. This is sort of where it all starts. His killing spree starts. Um, and essentially he starts laughing. This is his condition. He can't, he just laughs uncontrollably at times and um so these guys start to come up to him bully him and he shoots one of the guys or one or two of them and so for that then as a viewer we can say first of all we've seen this guy be bullied for however many minutes already in the film and then we see these people bullying him and he kills two of them in self-defense but then he gets out of the train and he goes after the third third guy who got away and was bullying him, and he shoots him too. So that's the moment where things get questionable because up until then, as the viewer, you are essentially sympathetic to this character. He's just bullied. He um, has nothing going for him. He's a loser, quote-unquote, um, as society would view him. And so you sympathize with him and what he's going through. And even once he kills the two men in self-defense, you still sympathize. But when he goes after that third man, you start to think, um, okay, this has already this has already gone too far. And thereafter, it's just a killing spree, essentially. He kills uh, quite a few people. Now, one thing in the movie, because I turned away when this was happening, so I have no idea there was a woman that he had begun dating in the movie. And at a certain point, he goes into her house 
and she almost treats him like a stranger and then the movie gets the sort of pace where I thought my sister thought that he was going to kill her. Now, because I turned away, I don't actually know. <laughs> so apparently in that moment, um, it was revealed that he wasn't actually dating this woman. And um, so it, that's the interesting thing that the movie's doing as well. It's that kind of movie that's playing with reality, quote unquote, within a fictional story, right? To act, okay, is what part of this is real and what part of this isn't real. And so that's a fascinating part of the movie as well. Um, so he kills a, a lot of people, all, essentially all the people who have done him wrong. Um, I don't completely remember if he ever killed someone who never did him wrong. Well, the end of the movie makes us think that maybe he killed a psychiatrist but then there's so many questions like that we don't really completely know what's going on or if this is a, a, some kind of delusion that he's having. We don't know. So anyway, I say all of that to say, so some people may walk away and ask, well, what is the moral lesson of this movie? Because, okay, this guy was bullied and then he goes on this killing spree. Are we saying that he's justified? Are the writers saying that he's justified? And I think that this is such an important question. I think it's an important cultural question, an important moral question. Because I think that what, one thing I'll say just in terms of story, I think you almost always sympathize with the protagonist, no matter who they are. You sympathize with the protagonist. So if the story is... We're thinking about like a classic Little Red, uh, Little Red Riding Hood. Um, if it's told from her point of view, you sympathize with her. If it's told from the wolf's point of view, you'll find yourself sympathizing with them. So it's really all about whose story is being told. And I had <laughs> over the summer, my two of my nephews are such big fans of these of this comics of and one in particular he's very articulate about it i'm like he needs to go on and study philosophy or something um because he's just he's so good at really thinking about these characters and so we had this really good discussion about the morality of well really a, a discussion about how is someone actually how do we define hero and how do we define villain essentially and it got into a very interesting discussion because i think that when it comes to the the hero the hero is usually simply the protagonist you know it's very rare if it ever happens that there's a story where the protagonist is the one who's evil and the good guy is the one who is the antagonist and we as the viewers sink that in and we have no sympathy for the protagonist because he is evil let's say so like let's there's so many i think there are probably so many modern examples let's look at the story of maleficent another movie that i think is pretty good and has a good story to it um, Maleficent, I think traditionally is sort of the evil character, like an evil 
she's not a witch, but whatever the creature is that she is. But in the retelling of this story or in the telling of her point of view, then we get to sympathize with her that, and apologies if you don't know this story at all, but essentially we sympathize with her that her wings were cut off, that her daughter, this daughter that she took in, they were trying to take away, that she wasn't able to marry the man that she wanted to marry, that the man she wanted to marry betrayed her. We get to sympathize with her. So she's no longer just this flat character who's just purely evil and after the protagonist, when she becomes a protagonist, all of a sudden we shift and we start to question who is really good and who is really evil. But I think that it's really important, I think it's extremely valuable that we're able to hold on to two things at once, right? And that's something that that doesn't happen as much in our society. I think we're becoming a lot more black and white, a lot more binary in our thinking, right? If you are a Democrat, then everything Trump does is wrong. If you are a Republican, then everything Trump does is right. And we're not really judging things by any kind of moral center. It's all about my team versus their team. And I think that's extremely problematic. We know in Islam that the highest sense of justice, and I wish I could remember the verse, and it's also related hadith, but I didn't prepare it beforehand. But we know that one of the highest um, highest sense of justice is that if your family member does wrong, if you're in a judicial position, that you would punish them or treat them in a similar way that you would treat someone you didn't know that commits the same crime, that if it's your cousin that committed a murder, or if it's a stranger that committed a murder, if you are the judge presiding over this, that you would treat them in the same way, you know, if all things being equal. And so we can't simply say that in one sense, we can't cut our cut ourselves off from people for fear that, well, if I understand them or if I sympathize with them in any way, I won't be able to bring them to justice. And we can't go the other way either of feeling like, well, if they are, subhanAllah, I, I kind of lost my train of thought there. But essentially that we can't allow these things to get clouded. We can know someone and know their reasoning and still um, and still allow them to and still allow justice to be served. And I think that's so important because it humanizes everyone. No one really is black and white in reality. But we, alhamdulillah, that's why we have morality from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we still know that there is justice. There's mercy and there's justice. And whether you know the person or you don't know the person, that's still the reality, you know. Um, even the most evil of people might have been a good father to someone, a good brother to someone, a good sister to someone, a good wife to someone. Even the best of people might have been horrible to their brother or horrible to their um, parents or something. And, you know, and these things are really tough because I feel like when you like the person, when you love the person, then you overlook their fault, their flaws. 
But when you hate the person, you overlook their good, as with the political example I just gave. But we have to be um, as balanced as possible. And not even, you know, I kind of hate the word balance because not everything is balanced. So not even balanced, but being able to look at people for their whole selves and realizing that there's a quote from Maya Angelou that actually originates even further back um, than her saying it. So anyway, the quote is, I'm human and nothing human is alien to me. And I think that's a brilliant quote because it also keeps us, I think it keeps us in recognition that that people aren't necessarily inherently evil, but that evil is a choice, right? So any of us can make a choice to do good or to do evil. And, you know, as Muslims, then we believe that what you do at the end of your days is most important. And it's not that nothing else matters before that, but... It really matters what you die on. You know, if someone was a believer and did good works for 50 years of their lives, of their life rather, and then towards their end, the last two or three years of their life, the last year, the last few months, the last few days, they become a disbeliever and they turn their, their back on their faith, turning their back on God, then that's the state that they die in. So every day we have... A choice. We have choices to make and we're constantly choosing between maybe not good and evil at all times, but various choices and each one having different grades of maybe we could say or just something being closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or farther away from it, something being closer to our goals or farther away from it, something being closer to social good or farther away from it, etc. Right? So Choice is what really makes us who we are more so than any sort of inherent nature. And Allahu Alam. Um, so I think that's crucial. So I do think, again, I feel like we sympathize in general, whoever the protagonist happens to be, but we can't let that blind us. And I feel like it's so important to understand that, right? To understand that being empathetic with someone doesn't mean you're saying what they do is okay. And I feel like that's so hard for a lot of people. I've done um, workshops and I used to teach a class online dealing with empathy. And inshallah ta'ala, Noor al-Shadali will be back in the fall. Um, but that was something that we spoke about, that it's so valuable to be empathetic, to step into someone else's experience. But that doesn't mean you think what they're doing is right. You enter into their space, their world, and you try to understand them. And through understanding them, then it can mean to so many different things, either getting through to them and helping them change for the better, understanding yourself, and because you understand how they can make that decision, it also becomes like a warning for you. If I got into that mentality, if I made certain choices, maybe I could be just like them. So how do I stay away from that? Um, but it, at no point does it mean I'm going to do what that person did. And that's, Allahu Alam, but I think that's one of the reasons why um, in school they would, I remember one of my teachers telling us that one group of people that psychologists hate working with um, are child molesters. And I believe that is more than likely because it is very difficult to be empathetic with someone who does that, 
right? We can all sort of child molesters and also rapists to a certain degree, because we can all understand at its extreme how someone could come to kill someone. Like you can kill someone in self-defense, right? So you can rationalize that. You can hurt someone in self-defense. You can understand to some degree, be empathetic to someone committing theft because they're poor. But we don't want to imagine ever, we don't really want to understand what would it take to get to a point where you would rape someone or molest someone. May God protect us from that. But my point is that empathizing doesn't mean it's okay. And that's such an important distinction to make because sometimes I feel like in our society, when we begin to empathize, that is when we begin to think it's it's um, okay. And you'll even see, alhamdulillah, it hasn't caught on um, that much to, to any large degree, but you'll see sprinklings here and there of of precisely this, people talking about being empathetic towards pedophiles and talking about it as some kind of lifestyle and a preference, etc. And to that point, the more that the more people engage in that talk, the more there is, the more there seems to be kind of a parallel discussion about the decriminalize, excuse me, decriminalization of it. That's kind of more fringe. You wouldn't really know it unless you look towards it. So let me actually go to a better example, which is the example of drugs right now. So right now there are a lot of people, even presidential candidates, who want to see some who go to the extreme of they want all drugs legalized, some who are saying they want marijuana legalized. And so when people were demonized, people who smoke marijuana, when they were demonized, then it was, that went hand in hand with criminalization, right? There's a certain type of person who smokes and that type of person is wrong, is bad, and they need to go to prison. And now, the more that we are empathizing and saying, oh, people can take that for, um, they can take this drug for, um, what is it? Like for certain illnesses and different uses of the drug, so the more we empathize, then people are talking about criminalizing. And I can't say specifically whether marijuana should be legal or not, but I think that the two can be separate, right? We can admit that the depiction we had of the typical drug user wasn't necessarily correct while still not necessarily accepting the legalization of those drugs. Um so all of this to go back to the original point I'm making, which is even though we enter the protagonist world and empathize with them and sort of understand them and their mindset, their mentality, what they've been through, it doesn't mean that they're not still a criminal who should be brought to justice. And that is a very nuanced message that a child is not going to get, which is why this movie is certainly not for children. But also, adults may not necessarily get. Some people may walk away from that theater thinking, yeah, those people deserve what they got because society is so evil and they treated this man so badly. And so, well, what do you expect? And that is extremely um, problematic, obviously. So I don't think that 
I don't know if that was the message the writers were trying to give us, um, but I certainly don't think that's the message that we're supposed to. I don't think it's the message we should take or what we should understand. We should be able to un to empathize with the protagonist without thinking his behavior was okay. But another message that I thought an underlying or maybe not message, but theme or point in the story that I did found, find so interesting and did question myself about was that within the movie, then he has this mental illness and at a certain point he's no longer able to get his drugs because the government funding for the program is cut off. And, you know, obviously we know that later on he goes on this killing spree, though in, we don't really know in reality if in the story he really did that or it was in his mind or whatever. But that's kind of what... Let's just say he did, just for the sake of um, the point I'm trying to make. So I kind of did question myself after I watched the movie and that I think there's a good point to be made about why do we see people like the character of the Joker as ruthless murderers and cold-blooded um, when they kill someone, they point a gun at someone, they kill them or they stab them to death. And that is disgusting and evil. But it's like we don't really see, we don't look at the government or the pharmaceutical companies or the big corporations who cut people off from life-saving medicines and um, medical treatment that will eventually kill them we don't see them as cold-blooded murderers. And obviously, you know, they are not um, directly killing anyone, but their actions are killing people. I'm not sure if that is something the writers wanted us to get from that, but I really thought it was something valuable to reflect on, that we let people, these government, you know, the government, big corporations, um, pharmaceutical companies, the hospitals, all of them, you know, in cahoots, we let them kill people every single day because we don't have universal health care, which I'm very much in support of. Essentially, that is health care that's free at the point of service because we all pay our taxes into it. So you have a problem, you can go to the hospital. And, you know, this is something Michael Moore has been talking about forever. And I remember in his movie, don't remember the name of it, but it was a documentary. And um, I think he said, or someone said, essentially it should just be sick help. Like you're sick, you get help. That's it. Not you're sick and, oh, does my medical insurance cover this? Is this, does this doctor cover my medical insurance? How much do I have to pay in copay? How much is the ambulance? I mean, years ago, I was hit by, I was in a car accident, and alhamdulillah, I was fine, but the medical bill, just the ambulance fee was so astronomical that I really regretted taking that ambulance. I really, really did. I think actually twice in my life, I ended up taking an ambulance. I completely regret it. I mean, alhamdulillah, I think my parents paid that bill, the, those two bills, but it's insane how much they charge you. And so it's no wonder people are taking their chances with going 
on an Uber than calling an ambulance. It's like the price that they're able to charge us because of these insurance companies. It's just this whole system where there are these sort of faceless entities that are essentially killing us, that are harming us, that are not allowing us to become well. Um, it's a really awful state that we're in, but it's like just bureaucracy, uh, bureaucracy, <laughs> am I saying that word right? Bureaucracy, I think I'm saying it right. Um, you know, just all the, the paperwork and the managerial class and the government and the big corporation, all these people you can't see, but they are harming us so much. They are far more people than any mass murderer, you know, does, you know, whenever we have these shootings every year. And so, I, I don't know, it just made me think about that because I feel like in the movie, you do just have this, um, sort of parallel crime happening of the more subtle form of, okay, because this government program is not going to be funded, and this guy is poor um, in the movie, essentially like lives in the hood, in this black neighborhood in the Bronx, or maybe it's a mixed neighborhood, I don't know. Then he's cut off from his medication, and that's it, you know? So we may, we only see that, that happens every single day. We only see that as someone's file being put in a drawer, someone, you know, signing off on something, someone leaving it. You know, it's all very proper and very nice. No one's being, you know, gunned down in cold blood. But it's just as cold and just as heartless. When someone, I remember this story I heard not too long ago because it was someone um who was, uh, talking at a Bernie Sanders rally and she spoke about, it's just so sad, she spoke about her son rationing insulin because he couldn't afford to get anymore. The prices are so high and this is, you know, a life-saving drug for him, but he had to ration it out and he died. And it's like, that's so sick, but when that happens, no one's at fault. There is no murderer, but it's like, even though it doesn't have a face, there's still so many people who are responsible for this. And so, you know, I think it was, again, I don't know if they did that, did that on purpose, but I think it was a great parallel to sort of make us look ourselves in, in the mirror and ask ourselves, okay, yeah, he's evil for all these people that he's murdering, but is it not also evil to just be cut off from the medication that you need, and also the other themes of just, or the general theme of him just being treated badly by society, um, which I will say, you know, I think <laughs> I sort of saw in like the comments of the trailers and different stuff about the movie of people saying, you know, in the past, the Joker, his story was that he fell in acid and then he became the Joker. And in this in this movie, it's like he fell into society. He became the Joker, essentially to say that society is just this evil place and um, all you have to do is be in it and eventually it will harden you. And I think that's too dramatic of a thing to say because I think that despite the, again, corporations, government, all these people and groups and companies who are just about their bottom line and profit. 
I think despite that, there are so many good people in the world on a day-to-day basis. And I don't think the movie was trying to to depict our society, but I almost felt like people were taking that message from it. And, you know, some people really are bullied badly, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to act as if that's no one's experience. Um, But I think that in general... I'll just say I think that their depiction of society as being this cruel place in terms of individuals was a bit exaggerated. Um, So I think, let me see, I just want to look over my notes and see. Uh, Okay. Yeah, you know, and I don't think I have an answer for this, but I question what does a more gritty and nuanced Joker say about our culture? You know, when we grew up, then I think our heroes and villains were a lot more black and white, right? They were straight to the point. This is the bad guy. This is the good guy. That's it. You don't sympathize with the Joker and the Riddler. You may find them funny because they were so exaggerated um, in our childhood as through their depictions in the movies. But you don't question, like, is Batman really good? Is the Joker really bad? You don't, you wouldn't really question that. And like I said before, I think these movies kind of grew up with our generation in that now you can see the nuance. Now you can understand how something like this could happen. And it's not to say or how someone can become um, a criminal or become quote unquote evil. Which is not to say that, as I've said a couple times, because I think it's such a crucial point, that doesn't mean that you get away with your crime. You still have to be brought to justice. But I think there is absolutely something to be said of not acting as if anyone is one thing, right? No one, (laughs) think of the most evil person in the world as someone who loves them. There's someone who feels like they are treated well by them. There's someone who thinks that person is a good person. I don't think there's anyone who exists where everyone who's ever met them thought they were the most evil person in the world or everyone who's ever met them thought they were the best person in the world. Maybe there are exceptions. Like I think sometimes that one of the exceptional things about the Prophet is that he was good to everyone, right? He was good to everyone. And whether poor or rich, whether family or visitor from somewhere else, whether you were rough to him or kind to him. And the only time that anyone could maybe say differently is we know, and we know Allah corrected the Prophet is when he thought it was better for the Ummah, when he told the blind man to be patient with him while he was speaking to leaders because that seemed to be what was best for the ummah. But then he was corrected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the Prophet said it was Salam, you know, I, I've just come to really appreciate that because I think that for a lot of us, we are flawed in some areas of our life. Some of us were better at work. Some of us are better with our families. Some of us are better with our friends. Some of us are better with children. Some of us are better with elders, some of us are better with our peers, very few of us are good with everyone. And that is is such a rare skill. And it's something I've come to 
really appreciate and think is a part of the perfect the perfection of the Prophet Sallallahu character. So I'm not sure what a grittier Batman says about our culture or a grittier Joker movie, except that those movies I think are growing with us. I don't think these movies are for children, but really for the adults who watch these movies in their youth. Watch, you know, campier versions of these movies in their youth and now need something with more of a storyline, need something that's more relatable. The last thing I'll just um, say, ask myself is would I watch the movie again? And for me, the movie was just, the murder was so overwhelming. Like, I'm not interested in that type of stuff. I hate it so much. I really, really do. I don't want to see any of that. Like, I don't want to see murder. I don't want to see you know, any of the rated R stuff. I'm not interested. I want to, you know, see the storyline. Um, so I don't know. The only thing that makes me want to see the movie again is because when I saw the movie and had to, you know, turn away a couple of times, then I missed the part where apparently it was revealed that he was never dating this woman in his building and that it was all a delusion. I want to, that I kind of want to see. But besides for that, even though it's a movie that it left me with a lot of, I think it was a thought-provoking movie, I really do. And, you know, in an interesting way, I think that all the murder was so overwhelming. It, it was almost as if it didn't want you to think enough um, to really think about the movie, which I'm not really sure. Like, I'm sure that because I assume that had a purpose. I'm assuming that the writers had a reason for putting so much murder in the movie, hopefully besides for shock and awe. Um... So I, I'm not really sure about that, but so I'm not, I'm on the fence. <laughs> Maybe I could one day, but I think that the movie is thought provoking. If you are into movies that are thought provoking, then, you know, I want to go and see it. But I would, I, I feel like for us as Muslims, then we really should be careful about what we take in. So some people may not waste their time with movies at all. I completely, you know, I think that's great. Um, but if you do watch movies, I think it is important to sort of turn away for that rated R stuff. You know, the quote-unquote love scenes and the murder being reenacted. I just don't think we need that in our system. But we can still enjoy the movie, just, you know, turn away for those scenes. So, um, you know, there was a movie, I'm going to forget the name of it now. But it was about a guy... <laughs> It was about a guy being in love with his, like, AI, but, like, his artificial intelligence. But now I can't remember the name of the movie. But I remember when I saw it the first time, I also thought it was so thought-provoking. And when I attempted to watch it the second time, I was just like, I don't know how I watched this the first Because there is so... The quote-unquote love scenes are just so over-the-top. You have to mute the tv and then you turn it back on you're like okay they must this must be over now you turn it back it's still ha so it's like sometimes once is enough <laughs> even if the film is really um a thought-provoking work so i don't know let me know what you think of 
the what you thought of the movie, what you think of my review, what you think of maybe some of the moral lessons that I have drawn from it. You can leave an audio question or audio comment at anchor.fm slash fig and olive blog. So I think that'll be really cool if any of you want to give me your feedback and you do so via um, audio, it'd be really nice to hear your voice. Thank you so much for listening and take care.